um, uh, was killed by an IED in Iraq um, uh, some years ago. He was 20, 21 years old with the 101st Airborne, uh, quite a well-thought-of young man, uh, quite an athlete and quite academically sound, a wonderful student in the Clear Creek Independent School District and uh, forfeited his life. So this event is in his honor, and uh, it takes place annually, and the proceeds that are contributed all go to a scholarship fund in uh, Ray Joseph's name, and it goes to <clears throat> qualified eligible students from CCID Clear Creek Independent School District. Thus far, $150,000 has been raised and offered in scholarship money. In fact, the grandson of uh, a wonderful couple in our church <clears throat> was the recipient of it last year, and he's just graduated from Pepperdine University. So anyway, uh, our church is behind it. Uh, Brother Chuck is the MC. Uh, this year, Bill Cole will be there singing the national anthem. We honor a military veteran every year at this event. This year, it's going to be Henry Kohler. Perhaps you know Henry. He's a World War II uh, hero. Uh, he would never tell you because it's interesting. World War II uh, folks are very understated, aren't they, about the contribution they made. Anyway, um, Brother Henry will be uh, acknowledged on this occasion. Tickets are available at the door and here. If you're interested, uh, we can get them to you. You can call Brother Chuck's office or just follow the instructions on that sheet. It's June 28th, so that's a salute to honor heroes on that night. And then, if you will allow me, I, I hope I'm not overstepping my ground, but I want to ask you a favor as a concerned dad of a soldier in Afghanistan. Now, uh, uh, I would do this for anyone, so I, I don't be careful about abusing the privilege. I have to stand up here and have the microphone. We did something similar to this on a Wednesday night in honor of a Marine who lost his life, and uh, I asked you if you would be willing to write little postcards, and we gathered them and sent it to his family, hundreds of them. I want to ask if you'd be willing to do this uh, on behalf of my son. I'd like to send it to him in Afghanistan. And so my wife and I purchased a bunch of postcards from Texas because I want him to know while he's in the middle of who knows where uh, that people are thinking of him, praying for him in Texas. And so we got a bunch of these postcards. And I would like to... Uh, uh, hand them out, just pass them around. And if you feel inclined to write a short note, uh, that would be great. And then you could just drop it off up here. I have a stack of them from the prior two classes. I'd love to collect those and send them. You don't need an address or a stamp. You don't need any rank. Just his name is Grant, which is probably not a good name for folks in the South. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, his name is Grant. And... Uh, they uh, just lost their sixth uh, soldier, uh, six so far since they've been there beginning of April. He's in the 82nd Airborne, and they're in the thick of it. And uh, <clears throat> he, uh, he's a chaplain. He flies by helicopter from site to site. They call them FOBs, Field Operating Bases. And on these different FOBs are members of the 82nd Airborne. 
And so he goes to provide chaplain coverage. He's like a pastor. That's what he's a soldier, a pastor to soldiers. And uh, he told me he was at Fob Warrior a few days ago, and he said it was very good timing because they just lost three guys uh, in an IED, and there was no chaplain. So he provides coverage. And he said even the toughest, meanest, crustiest paratrooper will receive his ministry because they all know each other. So when one guy goes down, it affects absolutely uh, uh, every everybody. So he called us on Mother's Day, say hello to his mother, and uh, and then the phone went dead after about 20 minutes. And he called back about 30 minutes later and said, you all right? What, what happened? He said, we were under mortar fire. And so... Uh, uh, he said, yeah, that happens fairly frequently. The good news is they're pretty bad shots. And so uh, <clears throat> they're really in the thick of it. It's a rough assignment um, for them, but that's what they signed up to do, and they're trained to do it, and their spirits are very, very high. And uh, so I, I thought if you wouldn't mind sending a little note, uh, we try to do these things periodically over there that uh, keeps them mindful of reality back here. And also, it's a little bit of a competition. There's another chaplain who's gotten some postcards from his home state. <laughs> and uh, so, so it's a little bit of a competition. I have a picture of my son holding a, uh, y- you know, the, you know that there's like a cannon, it's a symbol of Texas, it was from Gonzales, Texas, uh, coming, come and get it. You know that whole deal? Well, they brought it over to Afghanistan and all the Texans, there's, there's, they're all over the place. We'll hold it and parade it around, and all the other guys just shake their heads and just say, "Here they go again," you know. So, uh, anyway, they he wants to post all of these postcards from the Great Republic of Texas, and so if you don't mind, I would surely appreciate it. And so, if a few of you maybe could help me, um, if you, thank you, Brent, if you could just grab a couple and. Pass them around. And if you don't use these, could you just get it back to me at the end of the class? You may not feel comfortable doing this. And don't, please, this is not what you're here to do. You're here for Bible study. That, uh, so if this is not something you want to do, no problem. But give me the postcard back <laughs> so, so I could use it. And then I'll collect these from you later on. Thank you so much for, uh, for doing that. I really appreciate it. Again, his name is Grant. Grant. All righty. We're in Luke chapter 7. Look at the ladies. are. Look at the ladies. Thank you, ladies, for doing it. Thank you so much. <laughs> so you had to get up from there to go two steps? Thank you. Oh, thank you. These are filled out ones. I really appreciate it. Yes, if, if you just put Grant, that'll be... All we need. That's great. Thank you very much. So uh, Luke 17 is the text before us, and it's a rough text. And I have a feeling, Brother Chuck, he does this all the time. I would never, but he does. I think he stuck me with this tough text. (laughs) And I'll tell you why it's tough. As you'll see, it talks about the future. Are you interested in the future? You should be. Preoccupied? No. Interested? Yes. Dogmatic? No. Reflective? Yes. 
Well, the Lord is going to speak to his followers about the future. I'm just going to read the text to you here and then comment. Uh, it's Luke chapter 17, begins in verse 22, goes to verse 37. I'd like to read the totality of it and then make some comments. Here we go. Luke 17, verse 22. He said to the disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and, and you will not see it. They will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go away and do not run after them. For just like the lightning when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And not only that, it was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who's on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who's in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, the other left. Now verse 36, which I'll comment on after I read it. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. And final verse in this passage and answering, they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Uh, verse 36, um, do you have it in your Bible? And if so, is it, okay, so it's not in some. And in others, is it highlighted, demarcated? Red, okay. Um, anyone have brackets around it? Brackets? Uh, and the reason why you have all that, in, not in some translations, bracketed in others, is that it does not appear in the best manuscripts upon which Luke is based. Verse 36 does not appear. So how is it here? I want to offer a theory. It's only a theory. <clears throat> I think a copyist took it from a parallel passage addressing the same subject located elsewhere, namely Matthew 24. If you looked at Matthew 24, verse 40, you'll find it is this same verse in verse 36. Now, why would someone do that? I think to show us the connection between the two passages. In other words, Luke 17 is speaking about the same things Matthew 24 is, future events. This being the case, I want to direct your attention to Matthew 24. And I will integrate into it the Luke 17 passage. Why Matthew 24? It's longer. It's more substantial. It's more exhaustive on the subject of future things. So we're going to look at Matthew 24 today and, Lord willing, next Sunday. A disclaimer. I'm going to do the best I can to give a survey of key future events, things to come. Here's the disclaimer. 
Don't make it a test of fellowship. Watch your attitude. I'll watch mine. Christians fight over this. Be careful. Be careful. I don't want to be dogmatic. I'm not seeking to persuade you of anything you don't want to be persuaded of. I have a responsibility to represent the text. I'll do the best I can. If it's a misrepresentation, you have every right to tell me. But let's not part ways. Don't make it a test of fellowship. We know certain things for sure. The Lord is coming again. Other things we're free to differ on. It's not a test of fellowship. You do not have to agree with me to be a member of this church, to serve in this church, or anything like that. I will not hold your point of view against you. Try not to hold mine against me. We're all Christians doing the best we can with future things. We're not there yet, so we can't know all things. I'm going to treat the text with respect and as best I could. Be careful not to let this ruin your day. But you say, well, wait a second. Why do you get to spout off about this and I don't? I don't know the answer to that. You have to ask God that. I don't know that answer either. I ask myself that all the time. God, why have you given me the privilege of representing your word to people week after week? I don't know the answer to that. I'm struggling with it myself. But as he sees fit, that's the case. So there isn't going to be equal time. I suppose I apologize to you. I'm going to be the one addressing the text. That's the way it is. And you have to ask God, why that guy? I don't know. Let me know when you find out. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. Yes, sir. Clint. Oh, we have a Clint. Thank you. I will pay you later. In the future sometime. No, no. So um, let's begin. Matthew 24. Okay, here we go. Verse 1. Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. Uh, The temple was a complex of magnificent buildings. The temple itself, white marble and gold. When the sun would shine on it, it was up on a hill. Jerusalem is elevated. Temple Mount was elevated. You could see it from miles around from any direction. There they are, the followers of the Lord with him. There, walking about the temple. They're amazed at it, its engineering, its architecture, all the rest, the holiness of it. They're speaking to him about the buildings there. And he said to them, verse 2, do do you not see all these things? Truly, uh, I, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. They are amazed by what they see. He amazes them with what they don't yet see. He says, you you see all the beauty and all this marvel? It's going. Wow, he had their attention, as you might imagine. Verse 3, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, now we get an idea of the direction he traveled. He was in the temple precincts, temple mount, that's in Jerusalem, as you know. In order to get to the Mount of Olives, he would have walked over a pedestrian bridge, no longer standing. It would have traversed a valley called the Kidron Valley. It's not very big, just a matter of a few steps, a short journey from the Temple Mount. You see pictures of the Temple Mount today. There's no temple on it. You see a golden domed structure, third holiest site in Islam, the Dome of the Rock Temple 
This one used to stand there. The Lord would have gone from there. He would have walked eastward over this little pedestrian bridge. He would have crossed the Kidron Valley. Now he's on the Mount of Olives. Not for the first time. He was there often. He went to pray. That's the location of the Garden of Gatshmonim, Gethsemane, Olive Press. He went there. He prayed. Remember? He went there often to pray. So here he is on the Mount of Olives, sitting there and the disciples came to him privately not in multitudes at this time private audience lord and the inner circle of disciples and they were saying to him tell us when they had an interest in future things we should as well uh, there are two extremes, however. Some are too preoccupied with future things, trying to squeeze out of God details he has not chosen to give us. But others dismiss the whole thing by saying, I don't bother with it. It's all going to work out God's way. That's a cop-out. Th that's what people do who don't want to study the issue. Be in the middle, would you please? Be interested. Just don't be preoccupied. Be interested. Don't be dogmatic about things we have to be kind to one another about. Anyway, they say, when will these things happen? The Lord said a mouthful. They want to know time, the unfolding of it all, the chronology. When will it happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? As in Luke's account, 17, he said, uh, before you see me, I must suffer and be rejected. They understood that and accepted it. They said, well, then after you suffer and are rejected, you're going to leave, but then you're coming back. What are the signs of your return, you see? That's what they're asking. And furthermore, what are the signs of the end of the age? Things are going to end. We know about that. They're going to be wrapped up. What are the signs? They want to know. Fair question. And Jesus, verse 4, answered and said to them, now he's going to give a response from the Mount of Olives to their questions about the future. Hence it is called, have you heard this before? The Olivet Discourse. Have you heard that term? I didn't know uh, until some years ago. Olivet Discourse. It's called that because it comes from the Mount of Olives. It's the Lord's answer to their questions from this locale, Mount of Olives. Hence the Olivet Discourse. He responds to them in two chapters, Matthew 24, Matthew chapter 25. It's his longest recorded response to any question put to him. Two chapters of response. We'll only look at one, Matthew 24. Not all today. It's a little bit today. The rest, Lord willing, next week. Olivet Discourse, Lord's response. First, he says, verse 4, see to it that no one misleads you. About what? Verse 5, see, many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah, and will mislead many. Okay. Now here is where I'm going to ask you to be kind. There have been pretenders to the throne throughout history. It's not a new thing. People have claimed to be, in one way or another, Savior. However, I think the Lord is speaking of a future time bounded by two key events, which I'll tell you about, which we've not yet experienced called the Great Tribulation Period. You say, how in the world are you getting that from what we have read thus far? No, 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 no. It's not what we've read so much thus far. It's the rest of what we're going to read. So you have to bear with me because you can only give one verse at a time, right? So hang in there before you start throwing stones and you know, leaving the church and sending emails to the pastor about the heresy you've heard. Well, the deal... Hang in there, would you please? Let me harmonize scripture. Now, I want to tell you something. 
I can only do a survey of future events today and next week. For a more exhaustive study, I want to commend to you one I already did. It's a two-volume set on the future. I did it on a Wednesday night some time ago. It's for sale, but I have to tell you something. None of the ministers in your church derive one penny of uh, financial profit from these things. Why not? Because this is the intellectual property, to use a legal term, of your church. You're already providing for us financially. Therefore, to charge you for messages, you give us the privilege of giving, is a conflict of interest. So to avoid even the appearance of evil, none of our materials sold in the bookstore are ones from which we derive any money. Why am I emphasizing that? Because the lady accused me of it. I don't think it's right for you to be... And I said, I agree with you. That's why we don't. Well, where does the money go? How do you think the bookstore is supported? From sales. Secondly, monies from the bookstore in coordination with the bookstore management and our financial leadership team here goes to the Living Proof Project. It does not go to the individual members of the church. Why? Because you people are so astoundingly gracious to support us so that we can do our ministry. So we don't sell our tapes to derive money. So they're available for sale in the bookstore. It's a two-volume set. Fairly exhaustive study. But there are two other ways to get it that cost you nothing. One is our website. Now bear with me. I want to go slow here as if someone was explaining it to me. <laughs> so here's how you go to our website. And some of you have not been there. I really wish you would go because we're using it more than ever www World Wide Web whatever that means www.sagemontchurch small letters no space www.sagemontchurch.org okay so you go there when you go there you go to a thing called a home page I'm telling you this I don't even know what I'm talking. I asked the media department, how do I explain this? And I worked harder on this than I did on the Luke passage. Okay, so, so you get a homepage. You get to the homepage, you see a bunch of cool stuff. On top are words, each of which represent one of our core values. Giving, serving. One is learn. If you take your mouse, your cursor, and, and hover over the word learn, not click, hover, Another, a, drop, a menu drops down, another one. And you'll see lists. Uh, iConnect classes, pastor sermons, awakened services, uh, all kinds of stuff. If you go to Stuart Rothberg Wednesday PM, click on it. Takes you to another page, and there you'll see a listing of all the series that I've had the privilege of doing over the last several years. Uh, many are video and audio, some just audio. So the current series is first, then the other is alphabetical. Just scroll down to the future, and there you'll see the list of the messages on the subjects. That costs you nothing. Then I'm told you can download it to an MP3. I have no idea what I just said. <laughs> I'm just speaking in tongues, and I don't want an interpretation. Just go. The thing is, we don't do copyright laws. We don't play those games. You do with it what you want. So that's, that's one way to do it. And there's, of course, no cost. And our technical guys, man, that's what they do. It's really wonderful. There's a third way if you want to get stuff. 
whenever we finish a series, any of us, we give at least one copy to our uh, library. You can sign them out. You get it for two weeks, and then if you want to sign it out again, you can. If you're overdue, you've got to pay a fine. The, the library's going to be in the new building, much better facility. You've got all this stuff. So, so there are different ways to do it. I know I'm taking a long time, but I want you to know about the resources of the church. They're enabled by you. The technical people here just are so adept at doing these things because we want to make our ministry resources available not just within the confines of the church, but in this electronic day far and wide. So, so you can get it that way. So, so I'm going to raise issues here, and it's not fair to you, but I know no way around it. I'm not going to give you a chance. To, you won't have much chance to, for rebuttal or whatever or questions. So, so if, you, if you want to listen to that series, maybe it'll develop things a little further. Okay. So that being said, I think what the Lord is doing now in verse 5 is to give them signs or characteristics of a time when these future things will happen. This particular time, as I mentioned, uh, is called by some the tribulation period. It has an end. What's the end? The Lord's return. What's the beginning? There's a character named Antichrist. Who is he? I don't know. I don't go there. I just know he exists. There's someone. Antichrist. A fit name. He's not the real Christ. He's a parody of the real Savior, the real Messiah but he has supernatural enablement through which he manages to broker a peace deal in the Middle East. Israel signs it. Israel's enemies sign it. They lay down their weapons. He even arranges for the reconstruction of the temple uh, in Jerusalem. I don't know how all this works out, but Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 seems to allude to this character the Antichrist brokering this peace deal that begins this period of time. The ending is the return of the Lord. What characterizes this period of time? Uh, great uh, catastrophe used uh, for various reasons, one of which is to discipline Jewish people. Why? Because we've turned our back on our own Messiah. We're not even interested in him. The tribulation period will conjure up great interest because the Antichrist who brokered a peace deal will show his true colors about midway through the tribulation period. Israel will find out. There'll be great, great persecution of the Jews during this seven-year uh, tribulation period of time. During this time, there's such a horrific, unrestrained, sinful manifestation of human nature, people will long for a Messiah person, a deliverer, a rescuer, a savior. Troubled times always beget this interest. Even troubled economic times, that's how people like Stalin and Hitler come to power. It's always preceded by rough economic times. Watch out for what's happening here in the United States. People cast caution to the wind and they start uh, putting their support behind those who promise change uh, that will improve usually people's economic lot in life. So during this time of great tribulation, the susceptibility for deception 
with regard to pretenders to the throne will be great. So one characteristic of this end time period of time, which I do not believe we've gotten to yet, is great spiritual deception, but there's more. Verse 6, Matthew 24. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that's not yet the end. There's always been war, but not like during this time. But for God's restraining influence, man left to himself would destroy himself. The Holy Spirit will be not performing his ministry in the tribulation period quite like this. People will turn against each other like never before. We will never see such horrific military conflict as in this particular period of time. So one characteristic of this particular time is proliferation of spiritual deception. Second, wars and rumors of war. Here's more, verse 7. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there'll be famine and earthquake. War and famine oftentimes go together. Earthquakes and famine oftentimes go together. There have been famine. There's been earthquake. Not like this. It's going to be to the nth degree. So you have characteristics, deception, wars, famine, earthquakes, and more. Verse 8. All these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. The end? No, the beginning. There's more to come. This is not the end. Birth pangs leading to the end. Verse 9. Then they'll deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. You'll be hated by all nations because of my name. Who is going to be the target of this unprecedented time of persecution during the tribulation? Jews. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Prophesied in many places in the Old Testament, not the least of which is this, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. Alas, for that day is great. There is none like it. It's a time of Jacob's distress, but he will be saved from it. But wait, if it's the Jews who are targeted, what happened to the church? Gone. Raptured. Before. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Why? Because that's where he went. He had already descended, took on the form of man, became suffering servant, lamb of God to die for sins. Became enfleshed, suffered, died, was buried, resurrected, ascended back to the right hand of the Father. In order for him to come back, he must descend. He does. The Lord himself will descend from heaven during this time. Will it be subtle? Not at all. He'll do so with, the, with a, a, a shout Whose shout? I think the Lord's own voice. By the, word, by the way, the word shout is a military command. It's similar to fall in. It's as if the Lord is saying to his people, fall in. Get ready. Remember when I was in the military, you're going to be messing around, doing all kinds of stuff. When the drill instructor says, fall in, man, you are shout. And the voice of the archangel, what's his name? Michael. Probably Michael. And the trumpet of God, a very common Jewish symbol, a shofar, a trumpet, is often used to rally the congregation 
together, to summon the people together. In other words, there won't be any guesswork about it. There won't be three signs, the uh, shout, a voice, uh, a, a trumpet of God. And what will the rapture do? What will it be characterized by? The dead in Christ will rise first. Who are they? People who have accepted the Lord Jesus and who have passed on before his return. They're the dead, but in Christ. They, as part of the rapture, will rise first. So are you concerned about a relative, a friend who's passed on, who's known the Lord? Where are they? Are they forgotten? Oh, no. The dead in Christ will rise first. Rise to what? I thought when a Christian dies, he, she, goes immediately to be with the Lord. Is that not true? It is true. Spirit and soul. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But where's your body? In the grave, in the ground. Or in ashes if, it, if cremated. What's going to happen at the rapture? The joining together of your spirit and soul and your body fit for eternity. Who does this happen to? The dead in Christ shall rise first, but we're not done. Next verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 begins with this word, then. That's a time indicator. So first at the rapture, that happens. Dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, if it's us, who are alive and remain, will be caught up. Caught up. Do you know the word rapture is not in the Bible? As a result, people deny it. Wait a second. It's not important that the word be there. It's important that evidence of the event be there. Here's evidence of the event. Caught up. Uh, that's the phrase from which we get the word rapture. It's Latin. From the Latin. Rapture is from a Latin term meaning to caught up. You know what it means? To be snatched away. What do you mean snatched away? Look. The Lord returns at the rapture. Why do we have to be snatched away? Can I tell you something that you may find hard to believe? Some of us are not going to be wanting to go. You say, why not? Well, I just put out the new fertilizer on my lawn. I want to see my grass. I'm serious. You know, my kid's going to the, her first prom. You know, my daughter's about to have a baby. We've, we've gotten invested, folks, in stuff here. I'm not kidding. You know what some of us will say? Hey, thanks for coming, Lord. But now? Can you wait? So we'll be snatched away. He will say, fall in. Boom. We'll be caught up. That's the term rapture. There it is. So then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. The them are those who died previously in Christ before the rapture. We'll be caught up together with two, two things happen at the rapture. Dead in Christ rise first. Then we who are alive and remain are caught up together with them. In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Clouds. Hey, there are actually three comings of the Lord. I'm messing you up. I know it. Oh, my goodness. I'm starting a new cult here. Three comings. Yeah, yeah, sort of, technically. Look, look, look. First coming took place. Jesus came in flesh to suffer and die. Done deal. Rose up from death. Seated at the right hand of the Father. First coming. Second coming is actually his coming at the rapture. But he doesn't touch down on earth. We will be caught up with them to meet the Lord where? In the air. Second coming. Third coming. When he returns to establish his kingdom on earth. 
Second coming, he returns for his church. Third coming, he returns with. After a thousand, uh, uh, to establish the thousand years. Brother Daniel, I think you're right. Now there's two of us who agree. Okay. Okay. So, 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 so there are three, if you, if you, if you even believe in the rapture, there are three positions with regard to the timing thereof. It's simple to communicate. One, the rapture takes place prior to the tribulation. Two, takes place during, probably midway in the tribulation, three and a half year point. Third position takes place after the tribulation. Have you heard these terms? Pre-tribulation rapture, that's before. Mid-tribulation rapture, that's in the middle. Post-tribulation rapture, that's at the end. Yes, ma'am. Generally, when it's speaking of the second coming, it's talking about what I just referred to as the third coming. <laughs> so you have to distinguish rapture from the second coming. See, the Luke 17 passage in Matthew 24 is not talking at this point about uh, the, the, the second coming yet, talking about the rapture. You'll see, I think, bear, bear with me, bear with me. So, so three, three positions with regard to the timing of the rapture. So look. You're a Christian not by holding to a certain particular position on the rapture. It's by being positioned rightly with the Lord Jesus by faith. So, so you're entitled to any position. I just want to tell you, if you asked me to choose of the three, which I think has most biblical support, I will tell you I think it's the timing of the rapture prior to the tribulation, pre-tribulational rapture. Why? One of the things that characterizes the tribulation is the outpouring of God's wrath. That's not happening to you. Why? Because the Father's wrath was already outpoured on the shoulders of his only begotten Son for you. So that makes you and me no longer an object of his wrath. It makes us a son or a daughter, a child adopted into his family. Wayward, for sure, from time to time. Needing his discipline, for sure, from time to time. But never the object of his wrath. Let me read this to you. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Let me read to you 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Folks, you and I as Christians are not being prepared for the wrath of God against us. We are being prepared for the return of God for us. That's why I think the rapture timed prior to, to the tribulation has most biblical support. That's why it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Here are the words of comfort. Jesus is coming back for us. We're not abandoned nor forgotten. Our Lord is coming back for us. 
Folks, the tribulation period is not the time of the church's trouble. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time to discipline Israel for her stubbornness, her hard-heartedness, her rejection of her own Messiah, so as to bring the nation to faith in him. Now, I want to read to you a passage of scripture about this, which is key, very significant. It's in Romans chapter 11, verses 25 to 27. Romans 11, 25 to 27. Paul is writing. <clears throat> Here's what it says. For I, Paul, an apostle, for I do not want you, brethren, he's talking to the saved Christians, fellow Christian believers. I don't want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. There's something Paul did not want them to be uninformed about. It's possible to be right about Christ, but wrong about some other things. He did not want them to be wrong about this particular matter. Why? Well, it's so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. Another translation says so you won't be arrogant. Paul says, I don't want you to be wrong about what I'm about to set you right about, because if you're wrong about it, you may be puffed up, arrogant in your own estimation. And here's the issue. A partial hardening has happened to Israel. Now, how could Christians be wrong about that? Uh, Christians could say, Jewish people have rejected Jesus, therefore Jesus has rejected them entirely. He's replaced them with the church. The church is now spiritual Israel. Let's carry it further. The Jews in Israel have no right to the land. Therefore, for countries like the United States and certainly evangelical Christians to show their support for Israel in the land is unfounded because God has withdrawn his promise to Israel of the land because Israel has withdrawn herself from him. Paul says, I don't want you to be un uninformed about this because you'll be Wise in your own estimate. What is wise? Arrogant. It, it means this. The, 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 the Christian will point to the Jews and say, look at those Jews. Look at them. They crucified their own Messiah. Christ killers. They, they had the Bible. They had everything. Look what they did. And so it's possible for Gentile believers to arrogantly um, thumb their, uh, turn up their nose against the Jews, failing to see that they're we're all saved by grace and by mercy. Now, is this happening today? Like crazy. It's called replacement theology. Hank Hennegraaff, Bible Answer Man, holds to replacement theology. God no longer has a plan for the Jews. Stop supporting Israel's right to the land. John Piper is coming dangerously close to replacement theology. He doesn't believe Israel has a divine right to the land. Evangelicals stop supporting Jews in the land. Lynn Hybels, wife of Bill Hybels, a pastor of one of the largest churches in the country, Willow Creek Community Church, replacement theology. Now, this used to be the bailiwick of mainline Christians, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, people who don't have a high view of Scripture. But now evangelicals are getting on the bandwagon. Wow, stuff is happening. Stuff, let, me go, let me go on. Stuff, stuff is happening. Paul says, I don't want you to misunderstand this. There's a hardening of the Jews, but it's a partial hardening. Partial. Of course, God is still uh, intending to fulfill his promises to the Jews. He hasn't hardened all of them. And Paul offers himself as evidence. He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Look at me. And let me offer myself as evidence. I'm 
statistically a little bit of an oddball here. But I'm a Jew who believes in Jesus. No, he's not forsaken the Jews. There's a remnant of believers in every generation, Jewish believers. It's a partial hardening. Secondly, notice, until. Not only is it partial, it's temporary. Until is a time indicator. There's a partial hardening of the Jews until, until what? Something called the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What does that mean? Something called the church age. We're in it now. You are the church. Demographically, the church by far is made up of Gentile believers more than Jewish believers, right? Means statistically, how many Jewish believers are in this room? I think like maybe one. So, I mean, that's what it means. And by the way, glad to be part of the family. Don't misunderstand. But, 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 but this is called the fullness of the Gentiles. Look, my people reject the gospel. <clears throat> that doesn't interfere with God's plan. <clears throat> he uses the hard-heartedness of the Jews to extend the gospel to Gentiles. So the gospel has gone forth. It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. To the Jew first! What did we do with it? My people become enemies of the gospel. God says, okay, go to the Gentiles. Thank God, here he is. There you are. It's the fullness of the Gentiles. But it's not forever. So God's primary redemptive plan today focuses not on the Jews, but on Gentiles. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and then all Israel will be saved. That tells me God's not finished with them. He hasn't rejected the Jews. He's not replaced them. Then, after the fullness of the Gentiles, all Israel will be saved. What does that mean? How's it going to come about? Listen to me. Most Jews today are living as in the time, as it says in Luke 17, of Noah and Lot. Doing what? Life. Eating, drinking, planting, cultivating, working, going to school, marrying, giving in marriage. Not sinful things. Just things that have no ramifications for eternity. Most Jews today are not interested in eternity, not interested in the gospel, not interested in Jesus being their Messiah. I'm telling you, it's just the way it is. Astounding indifference and apathy amongst my people. Most today. What's going to stir them up? How about persecution, the likes of which they never experienced? How about an antichrist who they thought would be their savior? Revealing his true colors to be their enemy. How about the one who, though he enabled them to rebuild their temple and reinstitute their sacrificial system, then says, I will set myself up as the object of your worship in your temple. It's called the abomination of desolation. Then the Jews will start crying out, looking upon him whom they have pierced, as it says in the Old Testament. They will weep and confess Jesus as Savior. The tribulation and its persecution will bring about a softening of hardened Jewish hearts so that all Israel will be saved. Every Jew, just because he's a Jew, is going to be saved? No. How are Jews saved? The way everyone is saved, by faith in the work of Jesus Christ in our place on the cross for our sin. So what does it mean? Today, when you think of all Jews, you think of unbelief. In that day, when you think of Jews, you'll think of belief. Israel today, the personality of Jews is unbelief. Then the personality nationally will be belief. All Israel, every Jew who comes through the tribulation 
and confesses Jesus as Savior will be saved. What happens to the others? They perish. That's what happens. How's this going to happen? Look, look, look. The deliverer will come from Zion. The deliverer is Jesus. Zion is Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That's why the interest of the world is increasingly on Jerusalem. Satan knows Scripture better than some Christians. He knows that will be the focal point of the Lord's rule and reign. Therefore, he wants control over it. He doesn't want Jews delivered and reestablished in Jerusalem. That will prove God true to his word. Let's make God a liar. Let me get a Jerusalem. That's why the Palestinians, in exchange for peace, want Jerusalem as part of their capital, divided in two. That's why the United States of America to this day has its embassy not in the capital of Israel, Jerusalem, but in Tel Aviv. Interesting. The United States is being politically correct for sure, but definitely not biblically correct. This is where the deliverer will come from. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. Jacob means Jews. Jacob means Israel. That's the only way we'll be saved. He has to remove the veil. He has to remove ungodliness. This is my covenant. My covenant with them. Not if. When I take away their sins. For people who say God's through with the Jews, that seems to fly in the face of what we just read right here. Now, folks, look at. The Great Tribulation is a time of unprecedented persecution of the Jews. It'll make the Holocaust look like a walk in the park. It is inaugurated by Antichrist, but it is permitted by the real Christ. You see, though the Antichrist's intention is destruction of the Jews, Christ's intention is deliverance of the Jews. How? Through tribulation. So here's what's happening. The Lord's followers had questions about the end of the age. From the Mount of Olives, Olivet Discourse, he gives them a number of signs indicating what it'll be like. He spoke of deception, earthquakes, famine, wars, and persecution of the Jews. And there are other signs as well. This, Lord willing, we will look to next week, beginning in verse 10 of Matthew 24. Unless... The rapture happens before. In which case, Brother Chuck is going to take us. The rest of them. <laughs> so listen. Listen. Um, here's the deal. It's going to get worse. And then it's going to be great. The Lord Jesus is going to return to judge the world, and to deliver. For he is both savior and deliverer. He is both judge and, and deliverer. <clears throat> you have to be right about his first coming in order to be ready for his second. If you're right about his first coming, he came to suffer and die in your place. That's why he came. You accept him. He's yours. You're his. You have nothing to fear about the second. You look forward to it. I beseech you, be right about his first coming. Look forward longingly to his return. Don't cower in fear. No need to be. Perfect love. His, 
for us is meant to cast out fear. He manifested his perfect love. For God so loved the world that he gave. First coming, his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. He who has the son has eternal life. He who does not have the son shall not see life. What does it say? But the wrath of God abides on him. Those are the options, life or wrath. That's why I say we're not going to be in the period of the outpouring of the wrath of God. Life or wrath, that's the choice. Lord Jesus, put it within us to make the right choice. Enable it. Eyes to see. A circumcised heart. Remove the veil even from the eyes of some right here. To behold you. To see you. Pierced through, but now high and lifted up. Substitute for sin a savior, awaiting the privilege of forgiveness to be bestowed upon the one who asks. Oh God, put it in the one, the two, I don't know, maybe the many here who haven't yet said, please grant me your forgiveness. Please adopt me into your family. Please spare me punishment, wrath, consequence. Do me because of my own sin. I accept the fact you absorbed it all. Lord Jesus, be my savior. Take up your abode in my life. Master me. Make me subject to you. I want to look forward to your return, not fear it. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, folks. Oh, thank you for filling out those postcards. If you would like to just drop them off here on this platform, I'd be pleased to receive it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, let's see. Yes, ma'am. Would you like it? Uh, you're welcome. Quick question. Yes, Mark. Let me come down.